Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history, and with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And welcome, everybody, to another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And on the seventh day, J.C., God created college football <laughs> and pepper crusted bacon. I think those mm. it was a kind of a combo platter he he worked in on his on his seventh day. Pretty pretty productive for kind of a, a lax day. But uh, we can also add to the seventh day he he might have had somewhere in the back of his mind the Big Ten, which uh, as we we normally do this on Tuesdays, we waited an extra day in anticipation of the announcement that uh, uh, has been in the works, depending on who you want to believe. I mean, there's been a lot of information out there, a a guy named after a boat, uh, various beat reporters. Uh, It's been going back and forth, back and forth. I I take you back to, I saved uh, one little headline from August 19th, 2020. ESPN senior writer Heather Dinich does a fine job. And her tweet said, or or I guess this is an actual article, and the title of the article says, quote, Big Ten won't revisit decision to postpone fall sports, Kevin Warren says. Kevin Warren has said a lot of things, uh, and he's done very little in the way of getting this thing going. But I, I think it's safe to say... Uh, Kevin's a happy guy right now, and everybody in the Big Ten is happy. We're happy. I think this is a good thing, like everything else uh, that we've been talking about for the past five, six months. It's not ideal. Uh, You're talking about basically an eight plus one format. You're talking about a situation where if a young man tests positive in the middle of the season, he's going to miss a third of the season, 21 days by their rules, if you're taking them by the letter of their law. Uh, but all that being said, today's a landmark day and we've got four of the power five, who knows what the PAC 12 will do. Because again, uh, what I think is misunderstood by a lot of folks, uh, California and Oregon are not playing ball there. And this is, this is beyond school presidents in the PAC 12 beyond Larry Scott as conference commissioner, but the big 10, despite all the politics, despite governors and school presidents that didn't want this to happen, Eventually, the will of the people did. You didn't have to have people uh, rioting and looting the streets. There's other ways to protest things and get your point across. And a number of powerful people 
uh, got their point across. Another a number of student athletes' families threatened lawsuits. That gets people's attention. Uh, a number of dollars were clearly at stake. That's, that gets people's attention. A number of coaches and ADs spoke up. Uh, a lot of things were done, dare I say, intelligently to make sure that the final word was not determined by Mr. Schlissman of Michigan or Kevin Warren, uh, the, the first-year conference commissioner. Uh, a, a number of people said, no, we're not accepting that as an answer. Uh, but again, we're going to go about it in an intelligent manner to try and reverse course here, and that's exactly what they were able to do. Yeah, I, I think cooler heads prevailed, and I, and I think that they made the right decision. I think, uh, you know, and it's unfortunate that there are some national writers out there. Christine Brennan, uh, as the big example, called this the darkest day in Big Ten history. Uh, I think that's a load of crap. I think that it's, uh, you know, when you say something like that, what you're saying is these other conferences that are trying uh, to do things safely, that by and large have done things safely, that are, you know, proving that the science or whatever you want to say um, uh, is on their side uh, as long as you follow testing protocols and you make sure you do it in a responsible manner. Uh, that's just saying that no matter what, the, the right decision was not to play, no matter what. And, and that's just bogus. I, I think even the Pac-12, you know, could – you could see something, Mike, where even those governors of, of Oregon – Washington and California, you know, if they present the right testing protocols and things of that nature could give them the opportunity to go practice. That's the problem right now. They can't practice and there's wildfires and things out there. They have to worry about too on top of COVID and everything else. So it's, it's, it's a busy time to be in the government of one of those States, but I'm just saying, um, you know, to say things like that at this point, like the big 10 sold out or, you know, lost some sort of, you know, battle to the sec or something it's ridiculous first and foremost the sec did what they did along with three other conferences um you know one of those conferences happens to have you know uh several of the best academic schools in the country as a member of it in the acc including duke which last i checked had a great medical school vanderbilt's in the sec great medical school their resources that they had pooled were just saying something different than what the Big Ten was. And, and it comes to find out, you know, nobody's talking about either the, even uh, the myocarditis study that they had in the Big Ten and the Northwestern president mentioned it today. Well, the facts changed on that because the study they used to make the decision to pull the plug wasn't a study of athletes. It was a study of 50-plus-year-olds. There's a, there's a school president on the record saying that. Um, and, and so the people that are poo-pooing this, I, I think, generally have – ulterior motives beyond the health and safety of everyone involved to see college sports get canceled. Um, I'm not going to sit here and jump up and down and say Donald Trump saved the day because I don't believe that to be the case. Um, I think any president deserves credit for getting involved and promising federal resources for situations that are do that are good for the individual States and communities and the country at large. Other than that, I don't think it's a political issue at all. You know, so the folks that are still out there saying, well, this is a dark day for the Big Ten, there's no other intellectual argument um, to be against them playing. Um, uh, you know, no other intellectual argument to be against them playing other than it's probably not good for your candidate in November. And, and that's sad. 
Um, that, that's really sad that we still have media out there uh, that, that pretend to be unbiased and objective saying that. But but it's very few. Most of the folks are, have accepted the fact that cooler heads have prevailed. And, <coughs> excuse me. I don't think this is a dark day for the Big Ten, especially when you consider some things that have happened at member schools over the years. Um, I think it's a tremendous day for the Big Ten, for the, for the student athletes, the coaches, the fans, the, the, the great communities around these awesome universities, um, you know, that they get a chance to go compete. And, and I'm happy for them. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to unpack, but, but I'm happy for them. And I think this is a day that should be celebrated um, in the upper fourth of our country and not bemoaned. Yeah. And let's clean up that mess first, because I, I promised myself I wouldn't dedicate too much time uh, to certain people that cover the sport. And I've talked about this before. The one thing that this has done, this whole pandemic, in, in terms of the scope of how people uh, digest their college football news. I mean, for example, you run a website that's associated with a, a, a fan base of a particular SEC school. Uh, and, and those fans can get everything they need from the bigspur.com, right? Um, and, and that's, you know, Ohio State fans have their, their site and, and so on and so forth. But a lot of people still do follow the same four or five national writers uh, that are, you know, all over Twitter, all over social media. Uh, because even if the great thing about college football fans, it, it's not as specific to the one team as maybe another sport is. For example, uh, there's a lot of um, college basketball fans that I know that they every time their game, their team is playing they're watching it on tv they're keeping up with it they know all the players they know all the stats they know the stories but they couldn't tell you a thing about any other thing going on in college basketball outside of their specific team and that's okay i, I make the analogy people when people say bray uh, uh major league baseball is dead because the national ratings are down well the national ratings are down. For example, Braves fans, I'm in Braves territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what it's like here and throughout the Southeast. Braves fans live and die by Braves baseball. They're not going to watch the national game of the week between the Rangers and the Yankees on Saturday. But they will tell you everything there is to know about the Atlanta Braves. College football is unique in, in some respects because I know a lot of college football fans that, yes, they're an alum of a particular school and they, they, lead that particular school and they're all but they will watch on a saturday non-stop from high noon to midnight any game that's on mm-hmm. and they and they care and they gamble and they they watch the highlights of all the other teams they just flat out love the sport and everything in it so in order to get you know your fix of everything sometimes you want to expand your horizon so you go to twitter and you type up these people uh, and you get your information. And what it's done is it's, it's shined a light on what I consider, and I've always considered some very talented writers, um, but it's shined a light on how they, their, their viewpoint of the world and, and how they just feel the absolute desire and need to put that through anything that involves any issue in, in college sports. And this has never been more omnipresent during the coverage of this because we got a pandemic and we've got an election and we've got a polarizing situation throughout this country. And oh my goodness, 
Um, you know, there's some that just come right out like a Pat 40 and write an article. that says, if, if you don't get your college football, it's Trump's fault. Um, I, I, at least I applaud his honesty. Most of these guys, they just kind of hide. They just kind of new you to death. You know where they're coming from. Uh, you know, they want to inject their politics in every story, uh, but they don't actually do it because they don't, they, they want plausible deniability. Pat Forty just said the hell with it. I'm going to let you all know. I hate the president and I'm going to blame anything that goes wrong with college football on him because that's the way I feel. Then you have your other people that's kind of that it's, it's, it's very subtle, but people pick up on it. I mean, people aren't stupid. If you watch Paul Feinbaum for four hours, uh, even if you see some of that show, you hear people calling that are college football fans because let's face it, it's the only it's the only national show on a on a major TV network that's basically dedicated to college sports. In this case, college football, four hours a day. Well, I mean, people call up every day and they're like. I, what is it? Why is this person giving me uh, their political persuasion on every facet of the storyline that is college football? Should it be played in the fall? Now, I'll be honest with you. I forgot Christine Brennan even wrote. I, 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 she's been doing this for 20 years. She's with the USA Today. So is another writer that uh, seems convinced that uh, college football should not be played and his goal appears to be to just start fights with people on Twitter for anybody that has a positive viewpoint of the college football season taking place. That's his, that's his shtick. And maybe it works for him. Somebody even on Twitter wrote a flow chart of how he responds to everything. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Christine Brennan. Look, I don't, I don't, when I think of college football writers, I don't think Christine Brennan, I, I think of figure skating and I think she, there's, there's a title nine story to be written. Uh, then she's, she's there for that, but really good at that too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, just I mean, to give her credit for that, I think she's st- stay, you know, if, I, you I know think, no, again, these are, that's the thing. These are talented people. These yeah. are, these are talented writers. So, I mean, even if Pete Thamel goes on Paul Feinbaum for three months and says there's a 5% chance college football is going to be played. I'm not going to sit there and tell you because I disagree with his assertion of that, that he's not a talented writer. Pete Thamel is a very bright, talented guy. Um, some of the other people that I mentioned are, are bright and talented. I, a couple of them, not so much, but we, I'm not, again, I'm not here to get in all that. Um, but Christine Brennan got her name in the news today for that. And I don't think college football fans have thought about Christine Brennan for any other reason in the last 10 years, no offense to Christine, whatever she is writing. So look, I, I'm not going to sit here and waste time bashing. I mean, when she writes something like, the darkest day in Big Ten history. Have you not heard of Jerry Sandusky? Have you yeah, not heard I mean, of Larry yeah. Nassar? I mean, that's I felt embarrassed for her when she yeah, said that. And she kind of even women were were uh, saying, "Wait a minute, Christine." Uh, people of all political persuasions were saying, "Hey, you, you might want to pump the brakes on that." And she kind of walked it back. But I just at that point, I just feel embarrassed for you. Like you wanted to get your headline, you got it out there, uh, you, you spewed a little bit of venom. But that's so utterly ridiculous to the point of insanity. Uh, but some people are married to their ideology and their philosophy. They're not going to budge, and, and it's, they're going to get it through on every piece of news. So as I've said many times on this podcast, I feel bad for the college football fan that has just tried to get straight-up news on this without having to be subjected to that. Uh, but that's, that's, what, that's where we are that's what it's been. Um, I, I'll just will read you this quick thing because this is another case in point. Uh, I, we, you and I both know Matt Berry, who I think is as talented as any 
uh, on-air personality that ESPN has, uh, Sports Center anchor, uh, and and all of us happened to work in the same market at the same time for a few years. So I've gotten to know Matt fairly well. Had beers with him in Bristol, and just kind of uh, keeping up with him and and watching his career blossom, and and happy for him. So this is the kind of stuff that 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 we're talking about. And I know I know not everybody that listens to us is on Twitter, so that's fine. Uh, but Matt Berry is on Twitter, and and sure enough, yesterday as the news is coming out about the Big Ten, uh, here's here's another one, Dennis Dodd. On the same day the Big Ten is considering 2020, Ohio State just canceled uh, 2020 football. Ohio State just canceled spring break 2021 due to coronavirus concerns. Again, that's a headline that's supposed to make you feel like they should feel awful about considering playing college football. Matt Perry's response was, then don't go, don't go and cover spring break or college football for that matter. The sport is playing and it's been good. And, and this is the kind of thing that's his whole time, like Dan Walken. This is straight up horrible talking about the amount of positive tests uh, I believe at, at Texas Tech. And Matt Perry says, horrible. How about great news that 69 of the 75 players who tested positive have recovered? Dan Walken, you have brain worms if you think it's a good thing that their entire team got it. I don't think it's great they got it, Matt said. I think it's great they recovered. I don't think it's great when someone gets cancer. I think it's great when they beat it. I don't think it's great when someone is an addict. I think it's great when they're sober. It's okay to cheer recovery. Thank goodness for people like that. And I dare say people like us on this podcast to kind of, you know, again, balance out the overwhelming majority. As I've said many times, I'm not convinced all of these people were rooting against college football, but clearly a lot of them thought it was inherently wrong to be played and they were going to stand on their moral uh, pulpit and continually preach why it's wrong, selectively pick data that was negative, selectively ignore data that was positive, and continue and continue and continue. And now the momentum is so much that some of them are going to have to decide, okay, am I going to continue to just write that drivel? Or am I going to do my job? Because college football is going on whether you want it to or not and actually give people what they want to hear, which is the information regarding the actual sport and the season itself. Yeah, and, and look, and, and some of the stuff like it ended up being a reach. You know, it's like, oh, well, and, and look, I, sometimes I think coaches bring it on themselves because I don't think they're aware of what's out there, and that anything you say about any positive test or anything like that is going to be plastered all over everything. Um, you know, Ed Orgeron saying seventy five percent of his players have had it, and all of a sudden. You know, some people are like, well, that means herd immunity. And they're not scientists either. But then the Dan Wilkins of the world take that and go, well, you know, if you think that's positive, you, you that's not right. You know, and then Matt responded appropriately. I mean, you, when you're even taking things like spring break <laughs> and equating that to playing football in the fall, and no offense to Dennis, I like Dennis a lot. And I'm a, I'm a cohort of his. We're kind of all under the CBS umbrella. But, mm-hmm. man, that's just that's just tough. I mean, you know, our friend Tim Brando, who we had on last week, just tweeted out with the, the Christine Brennan column. You know, she he knows and likes her, but this is nothing but propaganda. Right. Um, and and that, that's what you're going to kind of do. And, and, and I think that's, you know, it speaks to a larger issue in our country, which I don't want to ever get into on this podcast again now that we're through that. <laughs> but it's, it, it's just that people are so in their tribes and so in their, you know, in their ways and, and 
are so mad about outcomes of things that, that have nothing to do with sports uh, th- that everything gets politicized. And, and you know, the pandemic, uh, I think, served a lot of people some good opportunity to shut the country down or whatever. And, and, and they, they, they are worried that if this country is not shut down and people are enjoying their lives, that usually favors the incumbent. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to that at all if you look at the polls, but, uh, you know, there are people out there that literally want human beings to continue to suffer uh, against all, like, reasonable thought, mm-hmm. uh, basically because they're worried about November 3rd. Now, do I think that the virus in and of itself is just going to go away after November 3rd? No. What I do think is people are going to quit going after things like college football <laughs> you know, in order to do their little part to, um, I guess, uh, influence, you know, whatever uh, outcome there is there. So, look, and, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm glad cooler heads prevailed in the Big Ten. And like I said, I'm not going to give Donald Trump any credit for it. I, I think any president that stepped in and, and did that was doing the right thing. If it were Barack Obama, Joe Biden, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton, hey, I think you need to play football. You don't think he would have wanted – Arkansas to be teeing it off. Of course he would. Um, you know, I, I don't care who it is. I think the president's job is to encourage and offer federal resources to things that mean a lot to everybody. And um, Dem- I, I, last I checked, Democrats go to college football games too, and liberals love college football too. So uh, I just think it's a happy thing. Uh, I, I think you're right, Mike. Some of these folks are going to have to. <laughs> They're going to have to make a decision as to what, what direction they're going to go now that well, they can't sit here and harp on the virus. You know, are they going to get back into covering the sport and writing about how all the student athletes are exploited and how they need all this money? Go yeah, back we, to that. we can get back into uh, they get to get back into that tent yep. and stuff. I like had a that. guy, I had a, a, a net. Well, he was a national. I knew him uh, when I was covering uh, when he was covering the Big 12 and I was doing Big 12 games, I'd see him at Media Day. Again, a talented a writer, and he starts off a, a conversation about NIL, which would have been dominating this offseason headlines sure. if it wasn't for uh, the pandemic, obviously. But that would have absolutely been dominating because it's huge, and it's coming right at us. And it's it. And this is not like a rumor or conjecture. It's happening. And it's happening in the very near future, as in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right away, he's you know that that's been going through the legislation. It's not getting nearly the headlines that this stuff is. And he starts off the conversation with everybody's been profiting, uh, but the athletes are getting the same compensation they were 30 years ago. And I'm like, again, that's a dishonest start to your argument. I'm I'm not against NIL, but you're just flat out wrong. If you if you you don't know that they're getting a much better deal than they were 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, then then you haven't been covering the sport very closely. You know, you've been you've been working a laptop from a distance, yeah. but you haven't been inside many uh, locker rooms, uh, facilities. You don't know. Uh, cost of a tenant. You don't know how much the money they're pocketing and taking home after everything else is paid for. Like you got to do, you got to be fair about these things if you're going to be uh, respected. And that's the other thing I would just say this in closing about uh, the, the people that are, you know, continue, they've been banging this drum now for months, basically telling you all the reasons why college football shouldn't be played. There's only so many ways you can keep saying in your own roundabout way that you believe the country should continue to be shut down. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you keep banging that drum, 
even some of the people that agree with you are going to tune you out. So sometimes you got to change your tune a little bit. You know, you got you got to just get off that one high horse and find another angle. Uh, if if you're going to, if people are there's there's so much competition in the industry now, who to follow, who to listen to, who to read. Uh, that if you if that's your only mo, and again, there's plenty of dozens of others like you. Uh, at at some point, you just become marginalized. You're you're doing it to yourself. So I, hopefully, that'll be a lesson, perhaps in uh, in journalism 101, which I think has taken a step back throughout this process. And here's just to tag on to this, and then translation. I mean, you know, this is moving from the Big Ten, Mike. Here here's some breaking news: Gavin Newsom. Uh, and there's another piece of breaking news from the Big Ten to get into when we actually start talking about you know the players. Um, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, said he spoke with Larry Scott two hours ago and said there's nothing in the state rules that prevent the Pac-12 from playing. Well, that's a new one because Larry Scott has been telling everybody on the planet that California and Oregon will not even allow practice. And that's been the excuse he has used, uh, that along with, of course, the school presidents, many of them lean the same way the the Schlissmans of the world do and and have said all along they don't think it's a good idea uh but if that is if if Newsom's playing ball again it's not the first time he's pivoted uh no yeah he he's he's actually one that will change his mind yes um if that's the case then the Pac-12 is going to be playing football I mean well yeah and I'll also say this, you know, one thing, one of my friends out in L.A. who is a good reporter, she tweeted uh, on top of that tweet that in California, if you have a local ordinance that, that, you know, is more strict than the state ordinance, you go with the one that's more strict. So Los Angeles County very well could, you know, be impacted. Um, right. You know, and I think both of those schools are actually inside the city limits. So right. whatever uh, the mayor, Eric Garcetti, is saying, that may be the guy to direct it toward. But man, I watched the Rams play the other night. They're yeah. practicing somewhere, so yeah. you know you can you can probably get you you can. This is something these guys can probably work out out in the Pac-12. Well, and that goes to the bigger point. And, yeah. and I'm going to get off the media front. Although I'll just say this to put a bow on that: we we've had Andy Staples, we've had Tim Brando, we've had people from the SEC. There's a lot of good people that cover the sport. This is not a uh, an indictment on everybody who's been covering this. But unfortunately, uh, for a lot, and I hear it all the time from just regular college football fans, I'm tired of being subjected to their version of how the world should be and then them attaching it to the way we should handle college football. Uh, Something that if I was an editor of a newspaper, uh, if I was uh, running one of these websites, I'd probably tell my writers to consider that. Uh, since you you are there to serve the audience, not vice versa. Uh, so let's let's go to the bigger picture of what this actually means. Uh, a, a again, a day to celebrate. I am happy. We have said all along we are not uh, regionalists. We are not, uh, uh, even though we both have ties to the Southeastern Conference. Th- this is not a. I don't look at it as a, a cannibalism type situation where you want the destruction of all the other power five leagues so you can reign supreme. No, I want what's best with the overall health of college football. And that includes having the big 10 and pac 12 relevant. It's hard to be relevant when you sit out the entire season. So the big 10 is in there and that's good. 
Uh, there was a conference call uh, or interview, Zoom, whatever you want to call it today, that had, oh my goodness, multiple people from the Big Ten, including Kevin Warren, and you had uh, as five people. And there was a lot of, you know, patting on the back and celebrating, which is good. I'm all for that. But here's what, what did irk me a little bit. The Big Ten clearly has been trying to phrase this as this was the quote unquote responsible league, which handled the situation in the responsible way. The same conference, which has taken not so subtle digs at the other leagues for not taking academics as seriously as they do in the big 10. They also want you to believe they were wiser and more sophisticated in their handling on whether to play or not play college football in 2020. Kevin Warren whose inexperience in college athletics I think was omnipresent throughout this process, actually thought that all of college football would follow his message of we shouldn't play a month ago, and it didn't happen. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, wait a minute, what the heck? I'm watching college football games on television here the last couple of weeks. I'm seeing NFL teams play. I'm seeing high school football teams play. I'm seeing the NBA play, MLB play, MLS play. Uh, he fumbled and bumbled his way throughout the process, becoming the most unpopular conference commissioner since, well, Larry Scott of the Pac-12, and now, you know, the the, the cannonball uh, of of momentum now just swings out west. We'll see what he's able to do with this, but but now, you know, Kevin Warren and the the academians of the Big Ten want you to buy into the notion that new medical information and testing is what caused this dramatic turn. Availability of rapid testing is anybody really buying this? Is anybody really buying that? That's the reason why this turned around. The science is the same. Okay, the testing is better. I mean, the SEC already was testing three times a week. Already was testing for myocarditis. This has all been available. But all of a sudden, we got to find something to justify why we changed our minds. It has nothing to do with the fact that everybody else is playing and it's working. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're being threatened, uh, threatened litigation by players, families, et cetera. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's killing us in recruiting. It has nothing to do with the fact that we're going to lose all this money while the, all of our competition in the Power Five is going to get it. Come on. I, I mean, bottom line is you couldn't fend this off any longer. You could not fend it off any longer. Something had to be done, and eventually they got it done, and now they're actually going to play football. But look, sometimes you just got to admit you messed up. Yeah. And, I, and I'm cool with the fact that they it, – it's better to admit your mistake than let pride get in the way, okay? And it, if you would have completely held out this entire season – it would have been such a bad look for this conference, but at least they pulled it together at the last second. But don't tell me that the Big Ten handled this the right way all along. I don't think anybody with any credibility is buying that. I, I don't either. Um, um, I, I just I, I think that anybody that says that you know there was some kind of major advancement is living fact free. Um, these tests were coming down, uh, the pipe. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, I think that that was obvious even when the sec said, Hey, we're getting this rapid testing soon. That, that, that came within days of the big 10 making their announcement, um, you know, that they were canceling. So it took weeks for them to get back on the thing. Anybody who talked to any other medical staff from any other conference when three fifths of the conferences are playing, 
Um, you know, they would understand that those conferences had reasons to play and that the myocarditis uh, study that the Big Ten used was fundamentally flawed. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I don't get that there was some rapid inva- advancement. And then you see the the release, you know, with Kevin Warren, and he talks about how, you know, the Big Ten has always led and we're leading. Um, and under no circumstances should we ever look at the Big Ten of leading in um in this particular uh in this particular instance you know i think they they're best to kind of uh take their lumps you know get through the season let's focus on getting through it safely um i'm i'm i, I am certainly not a person that thinks a bunch of people need to get out there and with covid-19 and play football <laughs> i mean you know that's dumb too uh, for those of you that just think, well, you know, it's it's just they're young. They can, you know, no, that's not the case either. We do need to take precautions. But um, it, the precautions are one thing. Canceling a season is another. Falling on that sword and pretending like everybody's going to fall on it with you uh, it, it is ridiculous. And, and then I think there's a lot of cultural bias uh, from some of these places that think, you know, well, you know, because of some political reason or because everybody in the Sun Belt cares more about football, um, you know, than the rest of the country, that they're just willing to risk it because that's, that's not true either. I just can't think of – I can't think of any reason why, you know, as long as you're going to test and as long as you're going to screen athletes for heart disease and, and things of that nature, um, there's no reason why you can't go play. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want anybody to play. Uns- I don't want anybody that doesn't have COVID that has a health issue to go risk their life to play football. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's important, but it's not that important. But when, you, when people talk about the science, they talk about the, the mathematics and the statistics and all that good stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, you know, it, 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 you know you, you've even had college, 20,000s of college kids when they dumbly – you know, if you want, you want to know something that was dumb and reckless, it was trying to have school, um, <laughs> you know, brought school back. Um, you've had 30,000, 40,000 positive tests at schools that released that information, Mike, and there have been zero hospitalizations. Zero. Zero. None. And, and so I'm certainly, you know, I, I, I think that with everything, there's a common middle ground. And, and I think that in this point, the people that did not want to play um, – you know, decided that it was uh, uh, they just weren't going to play. Period. Because oh my God, come hell or high water, um, and uh, and and that was that. And I think they're the ones that were wrong in terms of the facts, and they were the ones that did not want to find the middle ground, and they were the ones that did not that quite frankly had an anti-American, no can do attitude toward it. Um, and you know, I'm glad that they were proven wrong, and I believe with all my heart that they will continue to be proven wrong. Uh, even though we're going to have games get postponed, we're going to have players miss, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Uh, that's an obvious thing. Going to have some games postponed. I think Rutgers may cancel five of their eight games this year based on the vibe of their press release today. <laughs> I don't think they really want to play anyway. So, uh, you know, that's, that, that's fine. You know, that that's fine if that happens, because as we've said from the beginning, Mike, there's nothing normal about this game, right? But, <laughs> but I, I do think that you know that there's a difference between a, an abnormal game for one year 
and canceling it and, and, and just not play, you know, and, 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 you know, uh, for, for a a pandemic and a virus that while dangerous, you know, can be mitigated um, to a certain extent through, you know, a a lot of different ways and, and all that, you know, I I haven't complained once that fans can't go. I I have complained once about that. I haven't complained um, once about limiting fans. Haven't complained once about, you know, having to opt players out for positive tests. I've never said anything like that. I've just said that, you know, there's a lot of precautions you can take before something like, before you even know intelligently enough if something like that was undoable. I, I, there was a lot of, um, Oh, go goodness. This is problematic. I know we should do. Let's be the proverbial ostrich, bury our heads in the sand and not try to problem solve. Yeah. Uh, what's my, what's my, one of my favorite diehard movie quotes. Uh, Bruce Willis is on the line with the incompetent FBI guy. And look, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of, part the, problem. of the problem. Yeah. Uh, if you get one of these high paying conference commissioner jobs, if you get one of these high paying president of a university jobs, your job is to problem solve in some situations. It's yeah. not all gravy. It's not all just balancing the budget. And the the thing that was the most glaring hypocritical thing out there, as I've said before, and I quoted the numbers a few weeks ago, and I don't have them uh, with me or on the top of my head, but this is what I do remember. College football is a $4 billion a year industry. That's a lot of money. $4 billion with a B college universities i should said say the business of universities as a whole academics is a trillion with a t dollar business and those same school presidents that told you what a bad idea it was to play college football in the fall couldn't wait to open up the schools in the fall because they know they know you can't get tuition can't get full tuition if you just say we're going to do everything virtually Kids are not paying for that. Families aren't paying for that. And so they made a conscious choice. Hey, you know what? Uh, what is my what is my appetite for risk here? Uh, let's see. I've got a trillion dollar business. I'm going to go ahead and allow students on campus. What about college football? Well, we can't uh, can't do that. Of course, that's dangerous. Now that that never cut the smell test, never passed the smell test. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think a lot of people had a major problem with that. And I think a lot of people saw that no matter what their politics were and said, wait a minute now, maybe this can be done after all. And it's intellectually dishonest, Mike, because when you're talking about a virus that affects a very small, you know, percentage of, of younger people, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that there are 1%, 2% that have underlying conditions or whatever that it does affect in a negative way and some die. So if, if you're looking to cut back on death and serious illness, why are you opening it up to a cross section of 30,000 people who in a student body environment or, or, or you know, the, let's, let's just be honest, college is a lot more dangerous in terms of catching a virus than college football. These kids have been quarantined since senior year of high school was over. Or, you know, they've been quarantined away from the opposite sex and, uh, They've been quarantined away from beer uh, and, and all the fun things that go into college. 
you think for a minute they're going to sit there and worry about coronavirus and, and, and all that compared to a football player who knows he can't play if he gets right. it? You know, who's going to be more responsible? And then, then even if, if you're, you think your student body is responsible or whatever, you're still dealing with like 30 or 40,000 of them instead of like 110. And, and, so, and so if you're worried about death and all that, you know, why is the 1% of the 30,000 where, where if you do the models, then 30,000, you may have somebody that dies or you may have somebody that's seriously injured. Statistically, it's way less than 1% with 110. So, so you're willing to take a death to cash your tuition check. But, oh, God, you know, it will be very irresponsible if we're caught playing football. My God, you know. And, and that, that's what was the intellectually dishonest about the entire thing. Uh, I said that from the, the day the Notre Dame athletic director said there had to be students to play football. Um, congratulations to Notre Dame. They, looked like they had a great plan in place. The stadium looked pretty good Saturday by the way. Um, so they do have students and football, but I've said that since March that one necessarily doesn't have to do with the other. So anyway. true. And, and, on, and on top of all that, we know um, 19 to 22 year old kids, if they're not playing football and even if they're not on a college campus, they're not just good. They're not going to keep locked up in their no. uh, mother's basement. No. They're going to go out and do what 19 to 22 year old kids do. And that's why so many of them, when the, uh, when it was in the off season and they weren't on campus, <laughs> just turned up, uh, showed up on campus and guess what? They tested positive. They didn't get it from football or football activities. Uh, that's just, uh, the, the nature of the beast for that age group. Uh, so now we can move on with that, I believe. And again, uh, it, it's good news. I'm happy to see it. Uh, I think all these conferences are truly doing this in the safest way humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And we are ready to go and we'll see, you know, eventually if the final domino with the PAC 12 drops the, the scary thing for the PAC 12 is that while so many people genuinely wanted to see the big 10 come back, there's a lot of, eh, when it comes yeah. to the PAC 12. And I think that's unfortunate. That's sad uh, in terms of where that conference is right now and something that's going to need to be addressed inside their house in the, uh, in the, the quarters of uh, where they located the San Francisco, the PAC 12. They, they do have it. They're in San Francisco. Now they probably, they're taking some heat for that. Cause apparently, you know, studio space and office space there in San Francisco is pretty expensive. So maybe, I, pricey. I, maybe they need to find cheaper accommodations. Yeah. I'd move to Vegas if I were there. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about actual games. We did have actual games this weekend. I I think of all the storylines, you know, Clemson still the king right now. Um, Of course, Alabama will have something to say about that when the SEC starts in a couple weeks. Uh, I I think uh, the Florida State still having issues, even under another coach. Uh, That's a storyline. But to me, the biggest storyline, and it's it's a great one on one hand, and a and a. a really not great one for a power five conference. And that's the Sunbelt fun belt three and O against the big 12. Oh. And you know, if Kansas loses to anybody, you, you shouldn't be surprised. Um, but when you start talking about Kansas state and Iowa state, Iowa state's a top 20 program that a number of people thought could contend to win that league. They got a hot coach. They got a returning quarterback and, and, and they got dressed down. I, there's a there's just a couple things I'll just say on this because I don't want to just um, pile on the Big Twelve, but but that speaks volumes. What just happened to the Big Twelve? 
I love that this for other reasons because the Sun Belt, I really think, is an unheralded league. And it, it did bother me throughout this whole process where so much was got to get the power five, got to get the power five, got to get the power five. What about the group five? Eh, who cares about the group five? Got to get the power five. The fact of the matter is what you're seeing is <laughs> some of those group five teams are pretty damn good and can beat power five schools. And we shouldn't be that surprised because it happens every doggone year. Uh, and oh, by the way, remember the name Billy Napier because he might be coming to an SEC job near you very soon. But that was my my main takeaway. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, you look at that Louisiana Lafayette game and, and you know, you, you watch Billy Napier over the years and I, I think he's a He's an excellent offensive coach. I thought he was at Clemson, Mike. I, I think it was a tough spot for him because he hit that year two with Dabo. It was Dabo's worst team. They needed to go in a different direction, kind of that build up to what they were now. But if you watch his actual play calls while he was at Clemson and his system and his scheme, uh, no issues with it. Then he went to spend a long time at Alabama with Nick Saban and all those offensive coordinators. Went out to Arizona State for a while with Todd Graham, where he was a successful OC. And you can almost see the blending of everybody when he coaches. Um, he calls his own plays, you know, so he's, he's a play caller. That's not like Dabo, Graham, or Saban, uh, but he's, he's his own play caller. Uh, but those, that team is, is physical, they're big, they're fast, and they're lethal on special teams. I mean, that, you know, that was the difference in the game. Uh, defense and special teams, and then they got enough offense to go up there and win – that surprised me because you, you sort of think of that as being a, a you know, Matt Campbell type team. And, and I thought at halftime, Iowa state was okay. Uh, but boy, Louisiana in the second half just took it over. And you're right about Napier, you know, the less miles experiment at Kansas. I don't, I don't know what you do, man. I, I, I thought it was a bad fit. I, I don't think it's indicative of what kind of coach less miles is. I think he's in the wrong league. I, I thought a place like Illinois, eventually would be good for him someplace in the big 10 where he could be his own, like who he likes to be, which is, you know, line it up pro style offense, play defense, you know, get out there and make some things happen and go recruit some good players. And he's just in a league where you have to score and then you can't even score against coastal enough to win. And that's the second straight year. Second coastal straight Carolina's beaten them. Unto clears. They beat them 12 to seven last year. So, yeah. so two different styles of games, you know, um, so although that was unfortunate, um, staying in the Big 12, you know, Arkansas State, the, the Arkansas State's been due for a big upset, I think. Pride so that, that surprised me a little, little less. Um, what surprised me more than anything, now, you being the famous college baseball announcer that you are, and for <laughs> those of you that don't follow college baseball, follow it when we have a season again, because Mike's, Mike's the best. Um, but if Mike's calling your team's game, it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, All right, like so, so, we, so we've heard of Dallas Baptist, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, in baseball. Actually did a game there in baseball. Really good baseball program. I did not know who in the Hades Houston Baptist was, <laughs> okay? But apparently they played two games already, and they go to Texas Tech, and a quarterback named Bailey Zapp, I think that's how you say it, or Zappay, <laughs> 30 of 49 for 567 yards and four touchdowns against the Red Raiders, and they almost beat them. It's 35-33. Came down to a two-point conversion try. Had no idea who Houston Baptist even was till this game. The, the season started, and they started scheduling games, and I was like, well, you know, that's kind of an FCS-level teams looking to get a couple of games in. That's smart on their part. 
I didn't know they had a they could throw for 567 yards and almost knock off the mighty Red Raiders in Lubbock. So, you know, to me that was all a little surprising. Uh, you know, in, in the Big 12 in general. I mean, like there were some good, you know, good performance. I thought Oklahoma was very workmanlike. I thought Texas, uh, although UTEP, I don't think is all that good. You know, I thought Texas going out handling business was good. Sam Ellinger, 426 yards, five touchdowns, was solid. You know, but you have to start thinking like the rest of that league, Mike, that we felt would be very solid if they continue to struggle and crumble when we get to playoff time. Now with the Big Ten coming back in, uh, if you do have, let's say, Oklahoma and Texas cancel each other out and you don't have a really strong league top to bottom, you know, that could impact the Sooners or Longhorns or whoever else wants to get in, you know. Uh, in terms of their playoff uh, possibilities. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, compare Competitive rates and exceptional service. Call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Remember the name Billy Napier. Again, 41 years of age. Uh, a pretty doggone good resume early on. It, 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 he's This was not, like by the way, a, a blip on the radar. He's already taken to that program to two bowl games in two years. Pulls off one of the biggest, if not the biggest, win in, in the history of the school. He starts off under uh, Dabo Sweeney. He's got two stints with Nick Saban at Alabama. He was a college quarterback at Furman, which just happens to be in South Carolina, which could very well have an opening if things don't go well with for Will Muschamp and company this year. Billy Napier is a guy whose name is getting hotter and hotter uh, with every victory. And again, the, the thing that was great for these schools and even schools that didn't win all their games like Texas State. I mean, Texas State was on ESPN, too, because – Without the inventory, uh, teams that would Coastal Carolina's win over Kansas was a prime time on uh, FS1. It was the only game going on, and so uh, a lot of people probably didn't even know Coastal Carolina was a school that just wanted to see some college football late. Saw that game uh, this these couple weeks before uh, we have a full complement of games. It's a great chance for a lot of programs that would never get the light of day they just get lost in a crowded saturday shuffle of games and yeah if you pull off the upset you 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 might be you make the highlight package but it's not the same of people watching you live and getting a feel for your your program and the culture of the program learning your nickname finding out who the heck the coach is uh a, a good time for some of these group five schools one of the few benefits of the the disarray that has been uh the 2020 season as we continue to uh, move along. I, I mentioned um, Florida State. I, I know it's a cliche, and look, people get tired of cliches, but sometimes cliches last for quite some time because you know what? As uh, hackneyed and trite as they are, they're true. 
changing the culture is something that some programs are in desperate need of. You mentioned Kansas. That's one of them. Uh, that and an infusion of talent would certainly help. The talent is not necessarily awful in Tallahassee, but the culture going back to the last year of Jimbo Fisher has been toxic. And of course, then you make a, a curious hire and we know how that went, went for two years. And so now you hire a guy who's uh, certainly I thought was the right hire given the market um, and, and made a lot of sense, but talk about an inauspicious start. I really think though that the culture has rotted out in Tallahassee the last few years. I make the analogy almost, if you remember uh, speaking of Will Muschamp, you know, the Will Muschamp stint in Gainesville didn't work out real well, right? Had a good year and, and, and then not so much. Well, Urban Meyer, as good as he was, two national championships in Gainesville, the culture of that program was severely on the downslide. Guys getting in trouble with the law, left and right suspensions, kicking guys out, and that's what Will inherited. That's what Mike Norvell has inherited, and it's, it's gone all the way back to the, the, the latter part of Jimbo Fisher's tenure. Uh, that doesn't just get cleaned up right away. You know, you can, you can improve your play uh, and sometimes your talent in a short amount of time, but I, I think sometimes it takes a little bit longer to change the culture, and that appears to still be the case to me in Tallahassee. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and, yeah, and you know you can kind of sense it happening because you know it seemed like every month or two they'd have some player come out and say something on social media, and then everybody walked it back. And um, you know you kind of wonder how true those things are. But when you have players doing that, they're, they're really not concerned about you know the organization or their team; they're more concerned about themselves. And uh, you know no matter how you sort of can spin it, you know, I mean, the good programs handle things where there's a dispute internally. Uh, I'm not saying it's Mike Norvell's fault. Shoot. I hate to blame him. Uh, They've had a lot of dysfunction uh, with the Willie Taggart era, I think continues to haunt them and be a disaster Um, just because they didn't change any kind of culture that was already, like you said, waning. Um, and that's why last week, Mike, I said it toward the end of the, the podcast that I thought Georgia Tech watched that game because even though Georgia Tech has more roster building to build, they got a pretty good recruiting class. Jeff Collins last year went to Miami and beat Miami with that the team he had last year. You know, they'll come up and bite a team that's not trying. Uh, and, and it was just all out of whack on Saturday in Tallahassee. And, and there's a lot that has to be done. I was asked earlier today if – I would take them to have more than four wins this year. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, because I look at their schedule, Mike, uh, and they play at Miami uh, in 10 days. They have Jacksonville State at home, but then they're at Notre Dame, North Carolina at home, at Louisville, and then Pitt at home. All those teams I just said, except Jacksonville State, are ranked. Um, They'll beat NC State just because I have no faith in Dave Dorn. <laughs> I'm going to continue <laughs> that. But then they play Clemson, Virginia, and Duke to end the season. I don't – right now I don't see four wins. Uh, on top of that, DJ Matthews, uh, who had to apologize publicly to his coach after criticism of their COVID-19 protocols, has already, he's, he's already gone back and gone into the transfer portal. <laughs> I mean, it, you're going to – I think you're going to have to blow that thing up and start over. And, and this, because of COVID 
and everything that new staff had to deal with, you know, they may have to just take a brutally bad year and then blow it up and start over. I mean, you know, that, that just may be what has to happen. I don't think Norvell's had time, you know, to kind of get everything as right as it could be by now. So I, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's not going to have forever, obviously, and he may be a disaster just like Taggart. I, I think, though, that because of the things that have happened, you know, you, you got to give him a couple of years, at least two or three, uh, to try to right the ship or have things pointed in the right direction. Well, it's pretty clear, too. And you mentioned one of the incidents, and there were multiple, that you had players uh, in a Florida State uniform that the, their first thing on the agenda seemed to be, I want to contradict the new coach. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe they like the old coach because he was a quote-unquote player's coach, and they did whatever the hell they want. Well, that led to the most embarrassing two-year run that Florida State has had in about a half a century. So I don't know... Uh, if that's what you want to point to in terms of this is the way we want it to, to get back to somebody had to get in there and, and kind of clean things up. And that's, that, that, that's not going to take one season. So you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a step backwards before they take some steps forward. And of course they still don't have a, a, the quarterback situation. I don't know how many more times you're going to go to the Blackman. Well, uh, I get it. He's had different OCs. He's had different coaches. He's had poor offensive lines, but what are you what are you seeing in him that makes you think it's all, all going to just magically be turned around? I I don't know, uh, and I don't know enough about their depth chart to know if they have a legitimate plan B or plan C right now. But I would certainly consider it. Ah, yeah, and think about this, Mike. They had Sam Howell committed for a long, right. long time, and then Matt Brown flipped him at the end. And uh, Sam Howell's playing pretty good right now. So pretty good. Yeah, why do you think why do you think Sam Howell changed his mind? I mean, obviously <laughs> Mac Brown's a charming guy, we get that, but Sam Howell didn't grow up a Tar Heel fan, did he? I, he was from North Carolina, but I yeah. you know, he's Charlotte area kid. Right. Didn't really consider the Tar Heels too much before uh, there at the end. So I think yeah. Yeah. I think uh I think he's you know he's liking his move right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, to say the least, uh, not to be overshadowed, uh, kudos to Jeff Collins and Georgia tech. Look, I'm in Atlanta. I've talked about this before. Um, it, it would be nice to see Georgia tech relevant again. They simply haven't been, they don't move the needle here. If this is Georgia slash, uh, uh, Florida, Florida state, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, all, just way ahead of the Georgia Tech fan base, the Georgia Tech attention. That's not the fault of the media here. That's just playing the hits, man. And, and you know, Georgia Tech's, first of all, their alumni base, uh, as intelligent as they are, many of them get great engineering jobs that are not anywhere near Atlanta, so they don't go to a bunch of games. A lot of them aren't sports fans, quite honestly. You go to a Georgia Tech game on a typical Saturday, and it's just it ain't <laughs> it ain't the SEC, it ain't uh, Clemson, Florida State. It's just different. But that being said, there's a lot of things going for that school and that program where they should be better than what they've been. And Jeff Collins. That is a guy who can recruit. That is a guy that can change the culture. Uh, and, and that is a guy that's trying to get people excited about Yellow Jacket football again. No better way to do it than to go on the road. And by the way, they did have fans at Doe Campbell Stadium. I, I don't think many of them uh, will be back. 
but <laughs> but but they were there and they were there to cheer on the Seminoles. So they there was some crowd there, and Georgia Tech went in there and took it from them. Yeah, down and, and survived an early hole, too. I'm, I'm going to tell you this one thing about Jeff Sims, their freshman quarterback. I, I thought I thought he was really, really a guy that was showed he was a difference maker um, on the field, you know, 277 yards rushing, 64. I mean, sorry, 277 um, passing, 64 rushing. Uh, really thought, really thought this guy uh, was good, and I like Malachi Carter, a wide receiver, an awful lot too. I thought he was good, um, and their backs carried it well. You know, you, you, it wasn't a game where there was a lot of offensive fireworks. Um, you know, after kind of the, you know, the the early part of the game, they, they sort of shut Florida State down, uh, and then so credit their defense as well. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, there was just there was a lot to like about them beyond the fact they went in there and pulled out a gritty win and outgained uh, FSU. And we're starting to see a pattern here, Mike, you know, just based on what happened last year where I, I didn't know if Georgia Tech would win a game. I mean, they lost to the Citadel. Um, didn't know that they win a game. that They beat uh, Miami on the road last year, which was a, you know, dumpster fire situation. And then they also beat NC State, which, you know, obviously they had a dramatic coaching advantage in that one. Um so, I, you know, there's more to like than just that. And we're starting to see a pattern with Jeff Collins and his teams. Uh, and it was hard to notice at Temple a little bit because Temple, you know, they sort of got in a habit of doing that, starting with Al Golden. They'd go surprise people and stuff. But at Temple under Jeff Collins, they'd just pull out an amazing upset or something. And he followed Matt Rule into that job, who also pulled some amazing upsets. So she almost didn't notice it. We're starting to see that overachieving type of deal right now. And uh, I think that's what Tech needs to be. I don't think they need to be overachieving to the point they need to run the triple option. But I think they need to be overachieving to the point where they can go in and and pull out a gritty win over a team that's more talented than they are, but who doesn't have it in the chest. And I I think that's, that's what I think Georgia Tech fans would like to see. That's what I think Georgia Tech could end up being um, is that kind of team. And, uh, I think, you know, regardless of what happens for the rest of this year, they're on their way with the Sims kid and uh, with what they got going on offense and defense. Jeff Sims was a four. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I didn't know this. Jeff Sims was a four-star quarterback. Georgia Tech hadn't been landing a whole lot of four-star quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And maybe the ACC has uh, another true freshman that's going to make some major noise at the quarterback position, much like we saw a year ago in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I, I think, and, you know, he's off to certainly a good start. Um, so you, you could see that, you know, yeah, you look at their 2020 class, which was better than, you know, it was kind of a top top 20, top 10 class for a while. And then, you know, teams kind of recruited over them. They finished 27th in the country, but, you know, Sims was a big, strong, athletic kid out of Sandalwood High in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, you know, like you said, four-star kid, number 10th dual threat in the country. Uh, you know, actually had an offer from Florida State, you know. <laughs> so he came, he went home and played a great game in his debut. Uh, fast enough and big, you know, I like about, you know, he's got that size, but he's also got speed, uh, is able to uh, get out there and make it happen. So Georgia Tech, yeah, look out for these guys, man. I, I'm telling you, they, they're, they're slowly kind of putting it together. Um, but they're going to surprise some people this year. And then in two years, 
in that coastal division, which is normally unpredictable anyway, look out. Uh, before we get to some of the other games uh, around there, I want to I want to get your thoughts on maybe some other games that, that stood out. We we haven't even talked about the Clemson beatdown of of Wake Forest, but I do want to mention one of our uh, newest sponsors, and, and it's a new sponsor, but uh, an old name and friend when it comes to uh, what I've been able to experience. I'm talking about Stuart Wingo at Ameris Bank, and if you are going to make some money today. I mean, we're not going to sit here and predict winners of college football games and tell you to gamble. There's enough people that do that. And then the moment they, they give you a loser, they, you can't find them anymore. Uh, but I'll tell you this, you're going to, you're going to save a heck of a lot of money and therefore get money. If you get a mortgage through this guy or you refi through this guy, I've bought in, did I just say Boughton? I've bought two houses in two different states through Stuart Wingo. I've refinanced in two different states through Stuart Wingo. And each time, uh, bottom line, he delivered the lowest rate. I shopped around. I mean, I made him work. I tried to find somebody better. I couldn't do it. So this is one of those phone numbers that truly will save you money. And so many of us now are trying to take advantage of these low interest rates. I don't know if there's ever going to be a better time to refinance or to uh, buy with a new mortgage. And it's kind of hard to know where to go. Uh, Everything else is just window dressing. You want to know who's going to give you the lowest rate. And Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank will do that. So write down this phone number, 803-319-1777, all loans subject to credit approval. Other eligibility requirements and restrictions may apply, but again, you are simply not going to get better service or better rates with anyone other than Stuart Wingo. Uh, did, how much of the Clemson game did you see? It was a primetime game. Game day was there. Uh, it was, you know, kind of took center stage. I saw some of it, pretty much everything that I expected to happen happened. It was nice to see Trevor Lawrence back out there. I mean, he's kind of the face of college football this year in a lot of ways, although Justin Fields now will be another face. It'll just take a few more weeks. But uh, anything that stood out to you watching that game against Wake? Yeah, Trevor Lawrence was dialed in. I thought that, uh, you know, one of the things to look at with Clemson this year is that he did lose some receivers that were guys that I consider difference makers and uh you know, players like that, but, you know, they sort of reload. Uh, I think Travis Etienne and he are a difficult combination to stop. Uh, I thought Amari Rogers uh, played really well. They got a tight end named Braden Galloway, a local kid from Seneca that I'm real high on that was uh, tied for their team lead in receptions with five. But, yeah, I I thought that it was really what I expected. I You know, there are times when Clemson under Dabo will, will keep the foot on the gas you know, uh, I think Louisville a few years ago was an example. They scored, what, 77. And there are times they're going to take their foot off the gas, and they obviously took their foot off the gas against Wake uh, up there on um, on Saturday night. But I, I, I'll say something positive, too, about Wake. You know, hosting game day like that, they did the best they could, okay? <laughs> I, and I thought to be a, a game in a non-traditional stadium with no fans – they did the best they could. You, you didn't quite feel it through the TV, but, you know, you felt it was enough. Um, and I thought it was a nice setting right there at, uh, 
I guess they call it truest or whatever field. Oh yeah. It's the same um, sponsor we got here for the Brave yeah, Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Because BB just rolls and, off the tongue, doesn't it? BB and, <laughs> BB and T and SunTrust merged. So you took uh, you know, you took BB and T Stadium and SunTrust Park, and now they're all truest. But um <laughs> Grove Stadium is what it used to be called. And um yeah, so I, you know, but Clemson's its normal self and you know, they're gonna be interesting to watch. And they got you know, we're not going to hear that much about it for the next few weeks because they got the Citadel, then they're off before they got Virginia, Miami, and then at Georgia Tech. And so, uh, you know, they're not going to pick back up again for a while. But, um, you know, I thought they were impressive, and, and we'll see how it works. You know, I'm not buying the Spencer Rattler has arrived thing from OU uh, on the Heisman Watch articles that I see. Um, I still think Trevor and I think Justin Fields uh, is going to make a, hit a lot of noise uh, here pretty soon. Uh, and it'll come down to those two again now that we have Fields back. Maybe the only other teams that played that we consider a legitimate threat uh, for the playoff, Notre Dame defeating Duke 27-13. to 13. It seems like Ian Book has been there 12 years. Uh, and that's a good thing if you're a Notre Dame fan. Continuity at the quarterback spot could be even bigger this year than ever. You mentioned Oklahoma over Missouri State uh, and Texas. Uh, again, an established quarterback and Sam Ellinger, they whitewash UTEP 59-3 to in Austin. Yeah, I thought, you know, Texas came out, took care of business. I thought OU was very methodical, you know, went up and down the field like you expected against Missouri State. I watched a lot of the Notre Dame-Duke game too and kind of how you'd expect. I, I, I thought, you know, Duke's going to win the game. I mean, I'm sorry, Notre Dame is going to win the game. There's going to be times where Duke kind of scares the, you know, what out of them. Um, just because, you know, Duke opened with, what, Alabama last year, and, you know, the first quarter, Saban was about to pull his hair out. That's that's what you get with the David Cutcliffe team. Uh, Chase Bryce, of course, is their quarterback. One little secret nobody talks about with Duke, and you got to kind of look at it through the prism of, of competing in the ACC because nobody talks about them is how much better they are on defense than they used to be. You know, they used to be a, a team where if Cutcliffe's not dialing them up and they're not going up and down the field on you, they're going to give up 45 a game no matter what. But their defense has gotten a lot better. they got better athletes on that side of the ball. That's one thing I really noticed about them. And that's enough about Duke football. I'll say this, too, about Miami real quick. Um, was not – Overly impressed with the, the debut of Rhett Lashley as the OC there. I do think it will get better. And I think De'Aaron King, uh, a college coach, texted me on Friday morning. I was talking to him about that game. And he's like, that kid's what you call an eraser. You know, he's going to erase bad plays uh, for you. And, and I think anytime you have somebody that dynamic at quarterback, Mike, you know, you have a shot. Now, I'm, I'm not – I'm not buying Miami yet, but they play Louisville this weekend on the road in a big primetime game, and we'll kind of see how how that works out for the Canes this weekend. But I, I think they do have an opportunity, and they have a chance, even though they were a little dysfunctional on offense. I think De'Aaron King's a guy uh, that's going to be a big difference maker for them, particularly with what he can do with his legs. And they'll have a primetime showdown with Louisville, ACC showdown uh, that'll be at 7.30 nighttime under the lights uh, on Saturday, some other games uh, to look forward to this weekend. Again, we're one week. We'll be, we will be one week away from the start of the uh, sec season, which of course will be all conference games. You got UCF at Georgia tech. I think that's intriguing. Mm -hmm. 
you got um I'm Syracuse. I'm trying, man. Yeah, Syracuse. Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. A needle <laughs> Scroll on through, man. You got yeah, Boston Navy, College. Plays. Are you just sticking with ACC? Okay. I, well, I think, you know, there's a story. You know, Jeff Scott, I watched a little of South Florida this past weekend, three touchdown, went over to Citadel. Mm-hmm. They're at Notre um, Dame. It's, it's interesting to see him get his shot. Anytime Will Healy coaches Charlotte, you know, they, they gave App State a bunch. Uh, run for their money uh, in Boone. Now they go over to Chapel Hill to play the the main branch of the University of North Carolina, so to speak, and they get to compete against that team. Thought the Tar Heels. I thought Syracuse, even though they lost thirty one six, Syracuse actually impressed me with how hard their kids played on defense. Uh, their offense needs some work. North Carolina is really well coached defensively. Jay Bateman is a guy. Circle his name. Uh, the defensive coordinator at UNC and UNC just eventually wore them out. And so it was, it was close. And then all of a sudden it's 31, six and that's it. Um, You know, so, you know, North Carolina won that ball game. It wasn't a deal where they weren't challenged. And so, you know, we'll see if Charlotte can give them a game this weekend, but yeah, at UCF, you know, they're wanting to hang another national championship banner. Um, You know, that road win in Atlanta would be huge for them. No doubt. Uh, without question, that would that would stand out. And we would have Virginia and Virginia Tech, but it was postponed. Yeah, that's an unfortunate because that certainly would have been one of the headliners. Oh yeah, they, they, they frankly hate each other. You know, they played for the division title last year, and certainly uh, were in the mix. But there, there's there's been some COVID stuff up in Virginia. They'll, they'll play that one eventually. I think I think those two programs are probably better off starting around the SEC date. And that's why, you know, there's a lot of flexibility in the early going with the ACC teams. By the way, something else that uh, has come in today, don't sleep on the Mountain West. Their commissioner, Craig Thompson, he's now saying they're working daily on solutions in order to facilitate a return to play football at the earliest possible opportunity. That is a Mm. quote. Uh, it's, It's interesting to see now, Maybe even some of these group five leagues, with the exception of the MAC. The MAC seems like they are they are just waving their hands like, hey, don't count on us. We're, we're out. We're going to play in the spring. We'll talk to you then. Let everybody else do it. Yeah, and I think, I think for the MAC, you know, that may, even the Mountain West, you know, those guys, if they do wait till spring, I think it's a lot different. The challenges those group of five schools and FCS schools oh, no are going to face. I'm not being critical because they don't have nearly the money for the testing no. that the power five does. And I'd love this, you know, Mike, I'll ad- let's see, I'll adopt UNLV or somebody and make them my, my mountain West team. I'll pull for them every Saturday in the spring. If they play. But, um, you know, the mountain West is, is again, is, is also different than the Mac, you know, as far as the, the resources, I mean, you're talking about a league that has university of New Mexico, the two Nevada schools are the biggest schools in that state, you know, Colorado state's a big state supported school. Um, you know, so, so the mountain West is, you know, financially and things like that, as far as resources, they probably are a little bit better off than, than our friends in the Mac, but Hey, you know, the Maction, Hopefully, will take place in the spring. I think, uh, and I think that's another unfortunate thing about the Big Ten's decision, Mike, because I sort of felt like the MAC saw it coming, and they were like, "Well, we can't play if because the, they they saw the Big Ten go conference only, right?" And then they were like, "Well, we're going to cancel." And so many of their non-conference games are these Big Ten and even other conferences' paydays. I mean, you know, the MAC schools they get they they'll have 
sometimes two of them they'll go play. So, um, you know, I, I see why they canceled, you know, when they did. Um, and we certainly hope they get back quick. Well, think about this. We always, you know, you always hear the joke every year when a group five school or even an FCS school, which is much more rare, but let's just keep it to group five. When a group five school goes to a power five campus as like a 30 point underdog and they actually upset that team and win. And the the joke is, well, we just paid uh, $950,000 to ruin our season. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the big 12, you know, because it's only a 10 school league, yeah. they needed that 10th game to try to match with the other leagues like the SEC. So they decided, hey, let's call our buddies at the Sun Belt and let's have some fun. It the did not work belt. out real well. That did not work out well at all. And that's, uh, and you're right about the Sun Belt, Mike. There are some really good young coaches in that league. There's some, there's some programs that have traditionally been good, um, like a program like Coastal Carolina. Uh, I think just because, you know, there's, there's a lot of good FCS football historically in South Carolina. Now you have Coastal emerging as the third option on the FBS level. They can harness the best of the folks that used to go to Furman or Citadel or Charleston Southern or, you know, PC or Newberry or wherever, and you can put quite, put quite a team together if you do that. Um, you know, so I, 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 I think it's, uh, it's interesting to see what happened there and uh, certainly hats off to those guys We'll see how it ultimately affects the Big 12 uh, down the stretch. If I'm Oklahoma and Texas, I'm none too pleased with what happened. Uh, you know, I'm kind of blaming my brethren or whatever, but, uh, you know, we'll see if it ultimately impacts them at the end of the day. And then if there are coaching changes, who of these guys end up, um, you know, making the move to the next level? Yeah, I, I think the Sun – I mean, look, Troy – Nearly cost Ed Orgeron his job a few years ago. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisiana Monroe has sprung an upset or two in, in their time, including against the SEC. Yeah, Nick uh, Saban. Beat Nick Saban in his that, first in year. his first year. That's right. I mean, it, it's a good league. I say this all the time. And, look, I've done a number of these games where it's a an SEC school against a Group 5 school, and everybody's just like, ah, Group 5 cupcake city they're all the same no they're not all the same <laughs> they're not and they're not not those those conferences are not all the same either they're with all due respect to the mac and i i love maction i've been a part of it i've called some of those tuesday wednesday night clashes i've been in the bitter cold of akron ohio on a tuesday night calling a game in rubber front of 300 people yeah um but it's not the same level of talent as the Sun Belt uh, or the American. I think the American and the Sun Belt are are easily, you know, six and seven, and then it's just like a dog fight between Conference USA, Mountain West, the MAC. I guess that's everybody, isn't it? That's all yeah, time. I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Mountain West, like behind the Sun Belt and American. Just because the West Coast, because they're drawing, they're drawing out of that California talent pool, Um, and even they even go down to Texas a little bit too. So I, I, if I were down, they had their big week last year. Remember? Yeah, they did. Remember? Mountain West had their big season, big year. uh, Something else. Yeah. So anyway, it's good to see. Anything else you're looking forward to this coming week? Now, just a couple of news items that came across um, as far as. Uh, players go. Uh, Dylan McCaffrey has lost the quarterback job at Michigan, and I guess the day they reinstated everything, he's gone. A kid named Joe Milton 
will take that job. He's out of Florida, really talented, about 6'5 guy. Um, so look for that. Tennessee lost a tight end who's transferring today, Jackson Lowe. Uh, and Jabril Cox, who came down for, to LSU from North Dakota State, um, he's been called one of the best players in LSU's camp so far. So just a couple of player notes to keep in mind there for those of you that keep it up with the news. That's all come across since we've been reporting this. So our uh, recording this, this show. So that's uh, mm-hmm. those are all interesting enough things. I mean, I, I think Michigan fans are definitely wanting better play at quarterback. Thought we were going to get that with Shea Patterson. Probably didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. And uh, that Jackson Lowe kid was actually a teammate of Trevor Lawrence's in Cartersville, Georgia, before he went to Tennessee. So we'll see kind of what happens there. I will tell you this, that the scuttlebutt around here, uh, not just around here in the state of Georgia, but but this is SEC news, so it, it, it carries pretty far and wide. Uh, Georgia's still not settled on who their guy's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, my sources tell me that, that Daniels, even though I think technically hasn't been cleared to play, looked fine in, in practice, making all the throws, moving around well. You know, he's not a huge scrambler. Uh, but by no means does he have that job locked out. So, you know, we're sitting here and we're a week and a half away before the season opener for Georgia and the rest of the Southeastern Conference. And they're still not entirely sure who it's, who's it's going to be. I'll tell you, DeWan Mathis, number one intriguing story because he was a kid that it's, he's from Michigan, was committed to Michigan State, sort of started picking up some late offers, committed to Georgia sight unseen, um, then had some issues. Like he had to have a brain surgery or something like that. It was, a, it was something to do with his head uh, in terms of it was serious enough to keep him out. Uh, I've heard from contacts that he – you know, he's six, five, he's about 220 pounds. He can run. Um, heard if he could start throwing it a little better, you know, he could, he could make some noise, you know, especially if, uh, Daniels, even though maybe not be, maybe he's not a hundred percent in terms of the strength of the knee. So if Dewan Mathis is the starter at Georgia, Mike, everybody needs to tune in that first game against Arkansas. Cause it's, uh, that's something to really look at when it comes to their team. Yeah, uh, is if they're going to be a lot different than maybe we anticipated. Um, we'll see if old Barry Odom can't dial up some some defense there. <laughs> maybe well, try, try to keep the Hogs within twenty two, huh? Not not trying to pile on Arkansas, but if you're going to have a a baptism by fire as a freshman quarterback, there's there's worse teams to play than Arkansas. Yeah, uh, so. you got to stare across at the juggernaut of quarterbacking Felipe Franks. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm a late uh, Felipe I, Franks alone. I'm not going down the Felipe road this year. <laughs> we, I, I said all been, I had to say last year, and uh, been a hard time for years. True. Yeah, yeah. I know. it was 100 percent. Everything we've said has been accurate. So yeah, yeah. We wish the, Felipe Franks the best. The rest is history, and Daniel Trask is uh, an upgrade to say the least. Uh, that's going to do it for us next week. Well, we have some more conference drama. It won't be with the Big Ten. Maybe it'll be with the Pac-12. Who knows? And we'll be, of course, so that much closer to the debut of college football for not one, but all 14 SEC yeah. teams. We'll have some SEC games to preview um, next week, Mike, for sure. Looking forward to that. JC, enjoyed it. Stay well. And we will talk to everybody again soon. Thank you so much for choosing us once again on the ever-expanding, the ever-growing, the highly-rated 
JC and Morgan podcast.